Welcome to Coaching Kidlet, a podcast about writing and publishing good kidlet. We dig into various aspects of writing craft through a kidlet lens and provide inspiration and clear, actionable items to help writers like you move forward on their kidlet writing journeys. I'm Sharon Skinner, author accelerator, certified book coach, and author of speculative fiction and kidlet, including picture books, middle grade, and young adult. And I'm Christy Arros, author accelerator, certified book coach, and story editor focusing on kidlet, including middle grade and young adult. Hey, Christy. Hey, Sharon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? We're, I'm good and excited because we have a special guest this month. We have Karen Chow with us today. She started writing novels as a college sophomore at Arizona State University while earning a degree in electrical engineering. She's an engineer by day and a middle grade novelist by night. She lives in Gilbert, Arizona, so she's one of my SCBWI members, and she's also part of my EI team, and I'm so happy to have her here. Karen is represented by Andrea Cascardi at Transatlantic Agency, and her debut novel, Miracle, is out and available for readers. Welcome, Karen. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you, Sharon and Christy. It's really nice to be here. So, Karen, we wanted to talk about handling tough and emotional topics in middle grade. And we thought you would be perfect for that since, hey, you did that. <laughs> yes, I did. Do you want to tell us about the book Miracle? Miracle is about an 11-year-old violinist who really loves to play the violin because her father loves the sound. And when he's very sick, he has had cancer for her entire life. She technically wasn't supposed to be born. And so she's his miracle. And he eventually passes away. She loses her ability to play because of the emotional toll. And she struggles to find her sound again. She has trouble connecting with her mom and she has trouble with her friendships because they don't know what to say. And eventually, when she visits a therapist, the therapist helps her realize, like, you can't just pretend everything is going to be the same. You have to realize that life is just going to be different. But as she's realizing that, she finds joy and hope through the therapy and she's able to recover her sound. And that's the miracle. That's fabulous. We are seeing a lot more difficult topics being handled in middle grade than we used to. There's a lot of things that uh, kids are dealing with that we didn't used to see being written about at this level. This book, I think, is a fabulous contribution to helping kids understand how to handle something of this nature. So, Karen, tell us a little bit about the impetus for writing this book. There's two big ones that I usually tell the students. The first one is, I heard this Bible story about this man named Simeon, who was supposedly like really, really old, and he would go to the temple every day and wait to see Jesus. He would just wait there all day, didn't see him, went home. 
next morning, he would go there again and just wait to see Jesus. When he finally actually met Jesus, he's like, okay, my life is complete. I can die in peace. And so I just thought, what would happen if a little girl fulfilled her life's purpose very early on in her life? Then what happens next? That's kind of where the story started. I took a lot of my own experience. My dad passed away when I was a senior in college at ASU. I put a lot of that same emotion into the book and some of my experiences. And Amy's dad, Amy's the main character. Her dad is very similar to my dad. So it was kind of like a therapeutic way to talk about grief very far past his passing point. So I wrote it 13 years after he had passed. So it took a while to process things and cope with things before I was able to actually write about it. And I want to ask you, I know that you had some time to process and you had some distance from this very, very difficult thing. And I'm so sorry that you lost your dad when you did. It's that's so, so hard. But when you were writing the book, you had to pull up those memories, that memory of grief and all of that. And I know that, yes, it's cathartic, but it can also be a difficult thing to reach in and access those emotions. Do you want to talk a little bit about that for us? Sure. So the original draft had a lot of flashbacks that were basically autobiographical. The structure of it was she it started in the present and then she would flash back um, to when he was first starting to get really sick and then they crossed so that when he actually passed, she was getting to the end of this, her, her story and recovery. Those were difficult to write. Some of them were fun to write because it was like pulling from my memory of what I remember my dad being like and his hopefulness. And he was a very charismatic person. Like he had a good sense of humor, even though he was sick. My dad died of pancreatic cancer. So by the time he got diagnosed, it was like six months and then he passed away. So it was pretty quick. Some of those memories were really easy to write and to pull from. The original draft didn't have the funeral in it. I avoided some of the harder emotional scenes. And so my editor gave me an over and over before I actually was on contract. She's like, I want a different timeline. I want it to be happier. I don't want it to focus on dad so much. I want to focus on mom because mom is the one who has suffered the same emotional toll. And I was like, oh, okay. And and then she's like, and I also want the funeral scene. That was difficult to write. Lots of tears, lots and lots of tears. So in your original draft, was she still the same age? Did any of that end up changing or the length of the illness? Um, No, all of that pretty much stayed the same. My editor wanted the timeline to be the first act is his decline and passing away. The second act is her depression and grief. And the third act is her healing. She wanted a different structure. She wanted the relationship between her and her mom to be patched up throughout the book, and as opposed to focusing on the loss of dad so much. Some more about balancing the heaviness of that emotion with keeping it hopeful because it is middle grade. 
Yes. And, and I do remember when I was first querying that first draft, a lot of agents came back saying, oh, it's just too sad. The pacing is a little bit off. And it's probably because it was so heavily focused on her looking back and longing for that past instead of processing and healing and getting hopeful and moving forward. But I assume that you needed to write that first draft for oh, you. Yeah. Look back and do that processing of looking back. I'm sure that was a big part of the process. Yeah. I do think that first draft needed to be written. What it was, it needed to be written. Just because when I finally got feedback from my editor, we were on sub and it, there was a long period. When my agent and I got feedback from my editor, there had been quite a long time since I had actually read it, been invested in it. And so when she asked for changes, I was like, okay, no big deal. <laughs> As opposed to when I was first querying, I submitted to, there was this online contest called Pitch Wars, this mentor, author mentor contest. And I was chosen for that. And my mentors were like, well, what are you open to changing? And at that point, it was still really fresh. And I told them, well, I don't really want to change the flashback scenes because they, they mean so much to me. Versus later, like over a year later, when the editor wanted changes, I was like, okay, no problem. So you were able to get some distance from the attachment to that material in order to make it better. Yeah, for sure. Getting an agent takes a while and then getting an editor also takes a while. So I think that long time between was actually really good for me. Do you want to talk a little bit about that process of getting your agent and then getting an editor? I mean, your editor asked for an R&R. &R. Did your agent ask for an R&R &R as well? Or how did that work for you? Okay, so I had been querying and one of my critique partners said, oh, there's this new author mentor contest called Pitch Wars. It had a really successful history where an agented author or somebody who had been through the revision process before with a professional would mentor a chosen mentee for about two months. They would basically act like your editor. They sent you an edit letter. You had to revise within six weeks and they did a line edit and you had to revise in two weeks. And at the end of two months, there was an agent round where lots of agents had attached themselves to the program. All of these pitches would go live and the agents would like pitches and what materials to submit to them. I was chosen as a mentee under Cindy Baldwin and Amanda Rosson Hill, they were a pair, along with Remy Lai, who's very successful now. They revised with me. I went through the whole process, got a ton of agent likes at the pitch part, sent tons of material out, and then got all of the rejections back, saying pacing is weird, it's too sad, just not right for me, like. A lot of subjective stuff too, like this is not the right voice for me, that type of thing. And so I was like, okay, I have to revise again <laughs> after revising heavily for two months. 
and crazily for two months. And so I went back and I started revising again to try to make it a little bit more lighthearted. There was another Twitter pitch contest highlighting diverse authors. And so my mentor, Cindy Baldwin, had gone her agent through GB Pit. And she's like, Karen, your book is kind of quiet like mine. It deals with a very serious topic. She's like, I think this is going to be the opening for you. And so I had a due date <laughs> because it only happened twice a year. And so I think it was in April of 2018, I think 18. And so I finished revising, did the Pit Twitter contest. My agent ended up liking my pitch. I sent her materials. There were other agents too, but she ended up offering her representation, which was very exciting. And then we went through... I think a couple basic rounds of editing, like she wanted some of the friendships to be a little bit more rounded and solidified between Amy and her two best friends. And then there were a couple of things that I can't remember, but it was a pretty basic edit. Like it wasn't an overhaul at all. Then we went on submission, got a lot of rejections. My editor, Christy Ottaviano, said, I really loved her voice but I have some reservation. If you don't get any other offers, please come back to me. And so we waited maybe like four months and got all of the rejections. There were a couple outstanding. And my agent, Andrea Cascardi, was like, I don't think we're going to hear from them. So let's go back to Christy. We went back to Christy. Christy said, here's my edit letter. (laughs) And it was a complete timeline change, complete theme change. And at that point, I was ready to revise. And so it took me about seven months to rewrite the whole thing. Then I did a sweep edit with my agent and we sent it off. It took Christy a couple of months to get back to us. And she was like, you did exactly what I wanted you to do. So here's your book deal. That nice. The success story. <laughs> so you took seven months. You yeah. took your time with it. I'm sure it was a pretty extensive letter, which is nice, but also a lot of work. And when you say you did a sweep edit with your agent, are you talking about just a cleanup or a polish? It was basically polished. She looked at Christy's edit letter and said, you missed this part where she wants you to connect her Americanness versus her Taiwanese-ness. She wanted a little bit more conflict there. So I added that in. We totally went off the edit letter tried to hit everything that Chrissy wanted. But that also means then you agreed with the changes she wanted you to make. It still felt like a story you wanted to tell, even though that a lot of it was different. Yeah, for sure. I think the emotional journey of Amy, her love for her dad, her loss of her dad, her recovery, all of that is still in the book. It just looks different because of the timeline change. And you go back to the difficult emotional topics that we're now seeing in middle grade and dealing with that, you are also still processing throughout it. You are finding new ways to address the emotional aspects of what you went through in a way that is accessible for middle grade readers. Yes? Yes. 
when I wrote it, it was obviously much heavier. And then when I revised it, like it's still heavy in certain spots. It's a sadder book than a regular middle grade book that my kids read. But yeah, I think I had to consciously lighten things, especially like in the middle act where she's in grief and depression. I had to have another friend read over it because I was like, it just feels like the same. She was along her same line instead of going up and down and up, down. She was just kind of trickling along the same sad line. My friend Leanne Young who's actually my agency sister, she was like, I can help you. She had just lost her dad and it was a good fit that she could read for me really quickly and help me pointing out that Amy's conflict is like laughing and having fun with her friends, but then feeling bad about having fun with her friends because her dad is gone and she shouldn't feel that way, but she wants to feel that way. So that conflict, I brought that out because of her suggestion and actually lighting things a little bit better. That's great because it really touches on the fact that we can't have all one emotion or tone through a big chunk of a novel. We -hmm. have to kind of move through the emotions because that's what we do as humans. We move through our emotions. We're also capable of feeling more than one emotion at any given time. It's important that... We can display that for our characters as well. It humanizes them and makes them a lot more accessible. Yeah, for sure. So how did you use music and Harry Potter? Are those also personal experiences of yours or is that something you created for the novel? I'm a fan of the Harry Potter franchise and the books. I grew up with music, so I used a lot of that background to put into the book. I mean, the music part was more natural because Amy is a violinist. Her world is music. Her best friend, Rio, is obsessed with music. So that part came pretty easily. Amy compares a lot of life to musical terms. And so I just started the musical term as a metaphor for how she's feeling. And so that was pretty fun to do. And then during revisions with my editor, she was like, well, I want you to frame the chapter in the theme of the term that you use in that chapter. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, my brain is going to (laughs) explode. Because it's so, because it's like, if it's a crescendo and that's what, you know, that's what she's using for just that moment. But that meant this whole scene had to crescendo, crescendo means getting louder, into something, something, into something. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is hard. (laughs) And so, um, so the music part was pretty easy to weave in because of my music background. I played piano from age five and then I played all the way up to high school and I played flute from fifth grade. Well, man, I still play sometimes. I miss you, so I still go to homecomings once in a while and other music instruments that I've played. That part was easy. The Harry Potter, I can't remember why I put it in, but I do remember thinking she feels like him because 
he's famous for his parents' sacrifice. And she's famous because she has a dad who's had cancer her whole life. That's where I drew that parallel. I love the idea of using the musical metaphor. I have a poetry background. So anytime you can use metaphor and imagery, it really resonates with me. I think that it also gives you an entryway into things that you might not otherwise have. Yeah, I was a little bit worried like people wouldn't get it (laughs) because the heavily music, but the reception has been pretty good. Well, it's such a great way to develop your character and give us that showing instead of the telling of feeling that anytime you can make a sort of a personal metaphor for your character like that, I think that you added a whole other layer to your story in a way for your readers to engage with it without it feeling so just like music. The witch would go up and down. She's going up and down. I think it works great as a metaphor for grief. Yeah. 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 I, I love that. You know, you have all these terms in there, but if you give it to us in context, of course, we're going to understand it, even if we're not musicians, right? We, we'll learn what those terms are at a deeper level, right? Yeah, I, that, that's what I hope. <laughs> I hope that gets across. What kind of response have you gotten from readers? Uh, uh, Amy's best friend, Rio, is a composer, and so he composes a song. And in the book, and he um, wants her to play it with him as a duet. I had a reader who asked me, what does that sound like? <laughs> I know, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> what do you <laughs> think it sounds like? <laughs> what do you think? I, I, I kind of like, I alluded to, oh, it's really and playful and sounds like a river. And so she's like, well, what does it exactly sound like? I was like, well, I'm not a composer, so I can't really answer that question. And then the feedback at schools with kids who haven't read it yet has been, they see an Asian American author. It's different. They sometimes ask me, what is this? How do you say this in Mandarin? Or are you famous? They always ask if we're famous. And then they usually ask how much money we make. I love that you have a reader who asked about that composition. Because in the way they did, because it makes me believe that they believe that Rio is a real person. You mm-hmm. did a great job of making your characters real. That's fabulous. Yes. And how adult readers uh, respond with, like, thank you so much. I just lost somebody and this was very cathartic and um, helped me get through it. So that's been really nice, too. So. Along those lines, and that is so lovely to hear, but knowing that you wrote about something deeply personal to you as much as you were able to remove yourself from it through the revisions, getting published, doing edits, doing copy edits, going on marketing and going to schools meant that you were going to have to talk about this a lot for many years to come. Did that have any bearing on what you were doing or how does that feel to have to keep stepping into that space. I didn't expect it to go anywhere. I mean, I did, but I didn't. don't think I really realized what it meant to be published and in the public eye. And I think at my book launch, I ended up crying because I was like, oh my gosh, I can't. I was talking about this story and it just was overwhelming. But 
as I talk about it more and more, it becomes a little bit more like unconsciously scripted talking about something so painful and so openly. I think because you're repeating a lot of the same information, it doesn't feel as deeply impacting as the first time. That makes sense. We have to open ourselves up when we're writing that kind of emotion on the page and we're digging into those deep personal things. We really have to open ourselves up to it because if you shut yourself off and you stay in your head, it's going to show. The reader's going to know. Letting uh, people in. It's it's a level of uh, vulnerability Mm -hmm. that is required to do that. I think that sometimes it's better to not expect or know what's coming once it's out in the world because you you might close yourself off even harder if you knew what was coming and Mm -hmm. I think that overall it sounds like though this has been a good experience for you oh yeah it's definitely been pretty positive yes I still think it's something that writers should keep in mind. You were able to tap into that emotional truth and and make that experience accessible for other readers, but it does mean that you have to keep reliving it. And you were smart in that you waited until you were mostly healed from it, but it's not something that like grief is forever, right? That's kind of what you're saying in your book, right? Life goes on, but it's still going to be a part of you as much as you're teaching readers that you're living that too. So I think that's something that writers have to keep in mind if you're not in a personal space where you can keep talking about that and keep accessing that without harming yourself, then you should reconsider if you're going to write about something so close to home. I've been writing for a a long time. I started when I was in college and I've been part of several critique groups. Some were good and some were not as good. And I feel like when you're sharing something so personal, you want to make sure you're sharing with people you trust. They're not going to tear you down because of what you're writing, but how you're writing. I think that's important too. But if you are writing something really personal, you do need to keep in mind. Like I said, Christy, you are going to have to talk about it and reopen that same emotional wound over and over again. But it sounds like you're an editor. You have a lot of wise Christies in your life. (laughs) And your editor was great to help you remove yourself more from that equation to be able to tell a more resonant story for middle grade readers that gave you more of a buffer. Yeah. I don't know if she knew it was from some experience. She's a gentle editor and she's good at what she does for a reason. She's able to encourage you, but also expect more from you too. Yeah, as book coaches, Sharon, I'm sure you come across this too. You know, we don't always know if the people that we're working with are writing from personal experience. Sometimes you can kind of tell. Usually when it feels so resonant, that comes from somewhere. And some people are great at taking an emotion and completely changing the whole story they present to us. And we'd never know what they were actually writing about. But a lot of us, especially beginners, tend to write things that are closer to home. And that's a balance we have to tread between. We're not there. And so, you know, asking, is this personal? How can we help you write about this? And for what you were saying, like you still got to tell the, deep down the story you were trying to tell while mm-hmm. being able to change some of the surface details. Yeah, the emotional impact, it's all still there. It's just the story rearranging had to happen. It stays true to the original story. So I was happy about that. 
I, I agree with Christy. Sometimes we can tell right off, but it, it can cut both ways. I've had clients who can't get close enough to the emotion because it is too painful and it's hard for them to go there. We I have to be gentle and nudge them and know when not to push any harder. But at the same time, they have to get that emotional resonance, that emotional truth on the page, or the book's not going to go anywhere for anybody else, right? It's not right. going to connect. So there's that balancing act of making sure that I'm pushing, but not too hard. And again, not a therapist. I do have clients who have both me and someone else that they are working with who helps with the emotional piece of it. And I'm helping with the writing piece because I'm just a book coach. <laughs> not a therapist. How much more it means to your readers that you went through that, even if you never said that to them, because you're showing them that grief can look like different things and maybe they're feeling things that they don't have names for yet because they're younger readers. You're showing them these things and you can't really do that unless you really understand it yourself. So it's like a double-edged sword. You're bleeding yourself yeah. on the page. It's true. When I was first starting to write, they were like, don't be afraid. And my one of my critique partners, Mary Lambert, she also said, like, don't be afraid to go there. And sometimes that's the hard part because I'm okay with writing emotions. I'm okay with writing, you know, happy, pretty sentences. But sometimes I can see myself pulling back a little bit like, oh, she's not going to be that bad. <laughs> when in reality, she really does need to make those poor choices. So don't be afraid to go there. I mean, you said that even about writing the funeral, that you didn't have that in your original draft, right? Oh, yeah. The, the funeral was not in the original draft at all. It didn't happen until, I think, even after the rewrite, it wasn't in there until after my editor was like, you need to put it in, in developmental edits. And I was like, oh, fine. Fine. Because <laughs> you didn't want to go there. Right? I didn't want to go there yeah. <laughs> because it's so sad. So what kind of advice do you have for other writers who are writing difficult topics, in, especially for younger readers, but across the board? What would be some key pieces of advice that you would give? Yeah. One, don't be afraid to go there. And then um, I think, okay, so I also heard that the first couple drafts are you trying to figure out what you need to tell versus later drafts is you telling it to the reader. In those initial drafts, I wouldn't even hold back. Like, because you can always edit it out. You can always smooth things out, make it more palatable for a younger reader, but just get it out the first few drafts and then you can always edit it later. When I was writing the first few drafts, I was already toning down and making rules for myself of how Amy's voice sounded. I wasn't using big words. I was using shorter sentences. Those things helped me pare down the big feelings a little bit more. That makes sense. And I love that you say, you know, you can always pull it out, pull back revise yeah. because 
as we know, writing is rewriting. Revision is part of the process. We're not going to get it right the first time. We're not going to get it perfect. In fact, we'll, perfection is a silly thing to even aim for. I wrote the first draft of Miracle during NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month in November. And I think that also helped too, because I was writing so fast and just fitting it all out at once that I didn't have a chance to revise what I was doing. And I think that also really helps me. I don't know if NaNoWriMo works for everybody, but for me, for that draft, it definitely helped. Now that you've written and published a book with, with such a, a heavy topic, do you feel like that is something that you need to continue? Like one, one of my writing partners wrote a, a heavy YA, and then the next book, she wanted to write something light. And they were like, no, <laughs> right, we want this from you again. And she's I just spent three years in this. Like, I need something light. Um, yes. So that is the conundrum I have discovered with lots of debuts during our waiting period, because there's several months, even years between final acceptance of a draft and actual publication, we all wrote something in between. I had written something just as emotional, I think. It was more of a divorce story because I had just gone through a divorce and I was like, well, I'm just going to be my own therapist and write about my experience. And then my editor took a look at it and she was like, well, I think you're doing too similar, too similar to what Miracle did. So she wanted something different. Some of the other debuts wrote something similar, but then some of them also wrote something lighter. A lot of us, our editors rejected that second novel and wanted to work more closely with us on what comes next. My editor was like, well, Karen, you are very unique in that you are an engineer and an author. I think people need to read about what you do. So my next book is about my job <laughs> with some of the emotional stuff, family dynamic stuff added in. So it's similar and different. It's, is it still middle grade? It's still middle grade. Same target audience. Interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, we got a little tease on the next project <laughs> there. Mm. Well, I mean, to be fair, music, math, there it's, Engineering, yeah. You're there in the, in the same kind of nerd space. <laughs> I think it's important for our listeners to know that your debut is one thing and you expect maybe your next book to be a thing that comes out of you and then you get told that, yeah, we don't want that from you right now. We want something else. Then it's got to be hard. Um, but it's part of the commercial side, the business side of being published. Yeah. If you want to work with that editor, then you kind of have to follow what their imagined path is for you. I really uh, appreciated hearing about your journey and hearing about uh, all the aspects of dealing with these, you know, this difficult topic. And thank you again for revisiting that with us and opening yourself back up to that. We always leave our audience with an action item. So what action item would you offer to our audience for how to approach writing difficult topics? Based on what I said today, 
I would say try fast drafting a difficult emotional time. Maybe try National Novel Writing Month, which occurs every November. But they also have Camp Nano, which occurs in April and another one in June. Thousands of authors joining together and sometimes they'll have live meetups. And it's just nice to know that there's a bunch of other authors doing it with you. And yeah, I think like trying to spit it out as fast as you can is very therapeutic and very helpful. That's great. And my action item for anyone writing difficult emotional topics would be to make sure that you are providing yourself with some self-care. Give yourself the opportunity to give yourself some distance. Allow yourself to, to go through your emotions and, and back off from the writing if you need to for a little bit when that happens. But do open yourself up as best you can. Because as we know, and as Christy alluded to earlier, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. Those emotions are things that are universal, and that's what makes our work resonate. So in the meantime, make sure that you are taking care of yourself. If you need to talk to someone, be that a support, a supportive friend or family member or even a therapist, allow yourself the grace to give yourself some self-care. Excellent advice. So I have a two-part thing. One, I would say, yes, yeah, sometimes realize that, uh, as we also said, maybe sometimes you are writing it for yourself. Give yourself the opportunity to write it and then take a step back and maybe realize that this was something you needed to write for you to process what you were processing. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a book that someone else sees. And um, if you kind of feel that way, then see, like Karen did, what is it about this story that I really want readers to take away from it? And what things can I change to put a barrier between you and what you wrote? And uh, try some exercise to change the character, the actual situation that happens or the setting to, to keep those things like what you said, the um, mentor has asked you, what are you willing to change? And what are the things that are what we call the non-negotiables? Like what has to stay in right. that story for it to still be the story you're trying to tell? And what can you change to still get at that? That's a very mm -hmm. long-winded action item, but there you go. I think that's a great action item. It'll be very helpful for our listeners. Karen is a musician, but her character plays a different instrument. So there are ways to give yourself some distance between you and the character and still get at that emotion that needs to be in there. Yeah. And just to add to that, Amy is not who I was when I was a kid. And so she's a different character. And so I think that also helps too. Exactly what Chrissy said. You're changing something about the character or about the setting. That also helps too. Well, thank you so much for being here, Kieran. It's been a pleasure to hear about your journey and to talk to you about this difficult topic and to hear about your book. And we're so excited for your book to do well in the world. So we wish you very well on that and on your next book, which you have teased me about. So now I'm very interested. So where can we find you? I have a website. It's K Chow writes with one W. So K C H O W 
R-I-T-E-S.com. And I'm also on Instagram at the same handle, K-C-H-O-W-R-I-T-E-S. Your book is coming out in paperback this year, so we can pre-order that now if we wanted to. Yes, I just found out. It was a surprise. Somebody else told me. They're like, did you know? I was like, no. Ah, publishing. (laughs) It's coming out in September. That's exciting. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next month. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Coaching Kidlet, a writing and book coaching podcast for writers who want to level up their Kidlet writing game. For more about us and to discover what a book coach can do for you, check out coachingkidlet.com and follow us on social media.